How are you, dude? Old. <laughs> How you doing, brother? <laughs> oh, good, man. It's good. I'm glad we got a chance to talk. This is going to be great. Absolutely, man. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right. Welcome to this very special episode of Talk is Jericho. Episode 900. I can't believe it. Almost nine years doing this amazing show. Thanks to all of you who have been listening since episode one, since episode 100, since episode 899. We appreciate you and we thank you for being here. There's literally over a million podcasts in the world today. Think about that. And Talk is Jericho is consistently uh, in the top 150, top 200 in the world. Thanks to all of you who um, have been listening have been following me, like I said, and if you're brand new, welcome. It's a great time to join up. Uh, here's to another 900. All right. And uh, don't forget to follow Talk is Jericho. Uh, leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. All right. And we appreciate Duff McKagan for delivering an extra special episode 900. Joke of the week. Hey, uh, Chris Jericho, Jeff McKagan calling you. Uh, happy summer. You know, I was at the public pool uh, yesterday, and, uh, man, I really had to pee. And I so I went down to the deep end, and I just kind of peed, you know. The lifeguard got really mad. Uh, I guess I should have jumped in the pool and then peed. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Oh, that was rotten. Absolutely rotten. I told Duff that was a groaner. Terrible. Uh, but so appropriate for today's special episode. We love you, Duff. Thanks for calling in the joke of the week uh, every week for the last five years. We'll see what he comes up with for episode 1000. Uh, it's coming, people. You know we're going to be here uh, probably just about a year from now. So, But today we got episode 900. We always do something big for the uh, centennial episodes. Last year it was Rick Rubin. We've had Dennis Miller, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, uh, quite a few very special guests. Uh, but today, Tony Iommi, another great one. But today, uh, one of the greats of the wrestling business, a WWE Hall of Famer, uh, very controversial in a lot of ways, but also uh, a guy that went from being my friend to being my enemy and back to being my friend again. I'm talking about Bill Goldberg. He's making his Talk as Jericho debut today for this very special episode 900. We talk about his WCW debut, his WWE debut, working with Hogan and Lesnar, his friction with Bret Hart, even a couple of matches that we had together. He also comments on why he thinks he never had a match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. It would have been the dream match of dream matches, in my opinion. Goldberg explains what brought him back to wrestling in 2016, back to the WWE. Talks about his relationship with Vince McMahon then and now. And yes, we talk about our infamous locker room brawl. Uh, finally, after all these years, the truth comes out about our famous fight that we had in Milwaukee. All of that and more. Here we go with my good friend. Uh, and great guest, Bill Goldberg, right here, episode 900, starting now on Talk is Jericho. And once again, thanks to all of you for joining us on this ride, whether you've been here for 900 episodes or this is your first one or anything in between. We appreciate you, and I'm going to continue to deliver the best guests and the best podcasts I possibly can, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. So thanks to you guys, and thanks to Bill Goldberg here on episode 900. Enjoy. So um, after uh, nine years 
of Talk is Jericho, episode 900. One of the biggest guests I've ever had, literally and figuratively, Goldberg is here. And uh, man, so much to talk about. But first of all, I just watched your uh, biography last night. I thought it was amazing. Were you happy with it? Yeah, man. It would have been nice if uh, there were a couple people that said something positive about my wrestling career. And I don't know. I tend to believe what people say, and I guess I'm really horrible. But, you know, hey, at the end of the day, it's uh, it's it was a great uh, walk down memory lane for my family, man. You know, um, I think you already know, and a, co- a handful of people know what a family guy I am, and now the world knows. And so, uh, it's good to get it out there, and it's it's good to show people that I'm not that fire breathing dragon twenty four seven. But I will say this though, man, uh, you've always been kind of a self deprecating type of guy. We've known each other a long time, lots of trials and tribulations, which we can discuss. But I, I think that you kind of underestimate your wrestling career. Because to me, I mean, if, if, if I would have been asked to do that, and obviously they wouldn't ask me now because I'm on the side of the fence, but you're very unique. And one of the uh, the most explosive performers with your wrestling style that people really related to. I don't understand what what, what the what the problem is with that. Uh, okay, you didn't do a lot of holds and technical stuff, but did you never had to? Well, you know me, man. I uh, I I always wanted to be something different. I didn't want to be that chain wrestling guy. I always thought that you know I, I didn't want to fall down that uh, wormhole of of being cast like everybody else so i thought i brought something completely different right. to the business that hadn't been seen before and uh you know me i always want to be the best at anything and everything i do and so you always hear that well he can't wrestle more than five minutes he can't change well you know what i never i never wanted to be that guy you guys are the ones who go out and perfect right. that craft i was the explosion you know i was the exception to the rule and so I felt as though if I fell into that mold, I would just be like just everybody else, which, you know, sometimes is not a bad thing, but I wanted to be different. I wanted to be something that people had to sit on the edge of their seat and pay attention to every second, let alone every minute. So I'm human. I hear rumblings sure. and with the forefront of the internet, you see it all the time, but you know, people's opinions are like assholes. So. I, I like to think that I, I carved out a niche and that a uh, few people fall into that category, you know? No, and I, and I agree with you on that. Now, when you first came into the business, was this something that, that, that you came up with or were you told like beat, beat him in 20 seconds or how did kind of the whole concept of Goldberg begin? I think it was a day and time where people fortunately were listening to the public. I don't think it was anything that anyone, it w- wasn't foreshadowing. It wasn't, it wasn't a plan written in stone. I think it was it was fluid. It was something that changed every week. Gotcha. I don't know who who came up with it, whether it was Heenan or Tanay or Shivani. I, I don't know, but you know, I, I do believe that they listened to the fans and they gave them what they wanted. When you first came in, I recall, did you have a different name other than Goldberg at first? <laughs> You're like the hybrid or something like that. I wanted to be the hybrid. That was it. Yeah. Bill Gold, G O L D. That was pretty entertaining down in. Uh, you remember the the tapings down in Orlando, and I remember right. before going out my first time uh, against I think it was Manny Fernandez, which I do have on video. 
by the way. Wow. <laughs> I went out, I, I was I was getting ready to go out of Gorilla at the time, and they said, What do you what do you want us to call you? And I'm like, call me the hybrid. And they're like, we can't do that because if you ever sell merchandise, you know, there might be a trademark issue. And I'm like, you know what? I, I don't foresee myself ever selling anything. So just call me the hybrid. So they called me Bill Gold. So <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty interesting. When did the, the actual Goldberg, because now Goldberg is such a monumental name, right? It's got such power behind it. But at first, it sounds like, you know, a Jewish accountant or something like Goldberg. <laughs> yeah, I, I put up a smoke screen, man. You know, uh, the main reason why I did it was because I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my Jewish heritage and and you know, in growing up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where there weren't many prominent Jewish sports figures walking around, let alone in the national spotlight, I just wanted to give little kids, you know, something to look forward to, something something against the grain, something different than, than the norm. So um, I wore it, you know, on my heart like a, like a shield, and, and I'm extremely proud of the decision I made back then. Well, it ended up being a very powerful name for sure. Absolutely. But when you first came in, how, how was it with the other guys in the locker room? Because obviously you ended up becoming one of the biggest stars in WCW, working with, with Hogan, and we'll talk about that, and then ended up with Hall and Nash. But were you accepted right away? Because in wrestling, especially at that time frame, there was always a little bit of like, oh, here's the football guy. What's he doing? You're hilarious because you can answer all these questions because you were there, <laughs> right? You just, you're just teeing me up. But – <laughs> the best analogy I can give you is that I was like a college football player walking into a frat party. Hmm. Nobody wanted me there. I, th at least that's how I felt, right? You know, at, at the end of the day, football is a big team, little me, you know, sport. Right. And that's all I ever knew. And wrestling is a business. And whether you see people coming in as – attributes to your roster or whether you see them as detriments to your career in that they're taking a spot of yours, uh, there, there are a lot of things that are held back and there are a lot of attitudes that are put front, put forth. And uh, I felt like my back was always up against the wall and maybe because I did that to myself a lot of times, but um, I, I don't think everybody was very happy that I was there. Well, I mean, the office probably was, though. I mean, did, did you did, did you know, sometimes the, they talk about a blue chipper. You, you find that in football quite often where this guy's going to be. Somebody. Did you ever sit down with Sullivan or, or Bischoff? And, and did you get the feeling that they knew you were going to be something big? Or were you kind of just week by week feeling this build and everyone else, everybody else was as well? Everything happened so quickly, man. And everything happened so serendipitously i mean it was like if you're writing a script i couldn't have written it any better for myself so mm. and you know me my answer is i'm the i'm the talent i show up and i do what everybody tells me to do and i was in the right place at the right time with 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 some very good people around me you i include into that now at the same time there mm. were also sharks in the water that you know would do anything and everything to derail your your career but you know, I, I was of accelerated age when I got there and I looked at it as a business and a lot of people looked at it, looked at that aspect as detrimental to the product. But mm -hmm. I tried to just show up and be as professional as humanly possible, though at times I was a little immature with, with the success. But, you know, those are growing pains. 
when you came in from football, because obviously watching the, the documentary talk about how how important football was and is to you, did it surprise you at first the the kind of the politics of wrestling? Were you did you have any idea about that? Is, is there is there such a thing in football the same way as wrestling, or is football much more of the team? If, if you're good, you're good. Tell us some of the differences in pro football and pro wrestling for you. Well, football, you know, is is based upon performance on the field. It's a numbers game, right? If you're fast enough, if you're strong enough, if you're successful enough on the field in certain situations, then you play. Mm-hmm. That doesn't doesn't necessarily hold true in the wrestling business. And there's politics in every endeavor. Whatever walk of life you attend or or take part in, there's going to be a bit of politics and. And I, I, I was quite gullible in the beginning, and, and you know, um, I like to listen to everybody, and I, I assumed that everybody was pointing me in the proper direction, and uh, it's just in life that's just not always the case, and I learned the hard way, and you know, but it is what it is. I mean, you know, uh, uh, it's a it's a cutthroat world, and um, I grew up a lot in that business, as you were a witness to. When did you start feeling the the kind of the momentum rolling because like like we said the 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 initial streak was still one of the coolest times in in, in pro wrestling right out of the gate or did people start getting into it quickly or did it take some time i think it took time i I think it was a momentum based angle i think it gained momentum each and every week i i truly believe that after colorado springs against raven for the u.s championship that was that was the catalyst. That was the springboard, I believe. I knew it was a reality at that point. I can't really remember a lot of other milestones other than the Hogan match, no question, and mm. Dallas at uh, Halloween Havoc, and and yeah, you know. But I think that that the U.S. Championship against Block was the one. I remember that. That was that was kind of put you on the map for real, you know. Um, when you're talking about the explosiveness of Goldberg, and obviously it was fun watching some of your football clips because I'd never seen it before, just how much of a of a killer you were on the field. But that explosiveness it came from football into wrestling. The spear in 2022, probably the most one of the most used moves ever in wrestling. But from what I can re- recall, you basically were the first to, to, to use this move. Your idea, where did that come from? Let's talk about the spear. Jamie, walking out. Uh, against Manny Fernandez. Jamie says, what's your finish? I said, finish? What is that? I don't have a finish. And he goes, whatever you do, do something impactful that people are going to remember. So I get in the ring. Manny and I are circling. And uh, I say, Manny, do you trust me? He goes, yeah. I said, then spread. Then at the at the finish, tuck your head, spread your legs, and kiss your ass goodbye. And hold, <laughs> hold on. And I, I did it. And to me, it was a natural move. And uh, I went in the back and everybody's mouths were open, hitting the floor, going, whatever you do, mm-hmm. do that every single time. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's awesome because that's that's me. That's who I am. So it's a move I didn't have to learn. It's a move I didn't have to act in. It's a move that, that you know, put me on the map in the, in the football business. And um, I'm just thankful that something so simple translated. And how do you feel now when you see it used quite often? You know how I feel. It makes me want to. <laughs> but, you know, um, <laughs> hey, they say imitation is the best form of flattery. The Gilbert thing, the you know, Stephanie, everybody and their mother using the spear strategically placed, you know, as we were competing against WWE. And before I went over there, people started using it. And, 
God, when I got there, you know, it was a commonly used move, but I don't know, man. Uh, I, all I can say is anybody and everybody can emulate it, but nobody can do it like me. Right. With that explosiveness, you know, what did you think of, 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 of Gilbert when he first appeared? Again, you know how I felt about him. I wanted to rip his face off, <laughs> but that just made me understand what the wrestling business is all about. You know, I mean, and, uh, the way I look back on it now, I'm ecstatic that they were able to give this guy a job. Mm. That's that's how I've broken my life down. It's the good that can come of of actions that have happened in the past. And and the way I looked at it in the beginning, like I said, I was I was pissed off about it because you're always very much uh, not wanting to have anything to do with comedy. That was something that you always had a when we had our issue with, I'm not doing any comedy. You didn't like that aspect of wrestling whatsoever. No, I love that aspect. I just didn't think that it would, was any part there. There was nothing that I could gain from it as, as Goldberg, the character mm -hmm. at that point of my career, I didn't, I, I wasn't open to a lot of different things. And I, I mean, you were witness to it and, and I had to protect everything that I had, whether it was things that came out of my mouth or moves that I had in the ring. I felt as though my back was against the wall all the time. And, and, and I had to protect everything and everything. I mean, anything and everything that I did. And uh, whether it was, it was the case or whether it was like demons that are coming up behind me, I, I just, I, I felt as though it was me against the world at times. What well, was, was that uh, people in your ear telling you those sort of things as well? Oh Some yeah. Of the, the higher up guys. A hundred, hundred percent. 100%. I mean, it, there were a lot of things that played into it, but I, I think I think me fabricating it in my mind was the, probably the biggest factor. Yeah. No, I remember the, we, we, the, the one week I showed up for whatever pay-per-view it was, and they had me wrestle with – it wasn't even Gilbert. It was another guy that was doing a Goldberg kind of gimmick. <laughs> and it was Terry Taylor. He goes, beat this guy and, and, and pretend he's Goldberg. And I was like, all right. And so we did it. And then the next couple of days, you found out about it. You were really angry at me. You're like, oh, yeah, I heard about this, Jericho. <laughs> I took things so personally, man. And it's a business. It's a fabricated business, you know. Right. I was a football player, man. That's me. I'm a meathead. I'm a very simplistic person. And I take things way too personally. I really do. I have my entire life. You know, that's a, a lot of who I am. And it creates situations such as the situation that you and I had. And, you know, it was, it was purely a, uh, a misunderstanding in my outlook. I didn't know the wrestling business. I, I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up really right. being a, a, a huge fan of it. I remember watching Texas Championship wrestling with my grandmother all the time. <laughs> but I, I never really aspired to because my entire life was predicated around becoming a professional football player. And so I really didn't understand the business. I didn't understand the soap opera really that it is. And I didn't understand what, like I do now, that, that character-wise, you have to have range. You have to be able to go from one end of the spectrum to the other and back, you know, with the snap of a finger. And, and I didn't realize that. And, and everything I did and everything I wanted to be a part of was based on violence, right? And you know, going from zero to 100 is pretty cool, but being able to mm -hmm. to show some dimension and diversity throughout that is also quite important. And and maybe it was something that I tried to leave for, for later on, because they say sometimes when, when you do something in the ring, you can't go back on it, right? It's tough 
to keep a character protected right when there's so many people trying to do certain things to it well it would seem to like and once again you know you didn't know that that part of the business because you just came into it i mean here you are gosh maybe a year into the business and you're already one of the top stars you know in the world so yeah i can see and once again i can see it now all of the guys kind of lining up going oh I can't wait to be the first guy to beat Goldberg. I can't wait to be the first guy to, you know, get one over on him. I'm sure there was so much Game of Thrones manipulations going on behind the scenes about you that that did cause you to have a different mindset. Yeah, it was. I was lobotomizing myself, whether it was internal or whether it was because of things that were going on around me. But I like to think that, you know, my lack of vision is overcompensated by my ability to hear. <laughs> you know, so- <laughs> yeah. I think I was hearing a lot of different things that actually weren't happening. But, you know, it was it was tough, man. I, I always felt like an outsider. And I'll be honest with you, you know, Chris, I, I still do. Uh, I'm a football player who, mm. who got lucky in the business and was put upon a pedestal, not by his own doing, but by by others who were in in, you know, control. And it was best for business. And I'm a business guy. I remember uh, the WCW thing that that, that we were doing with, uh, you know, I was trying to get a match with you, whatever it was, and we ended up culminating it in uh, uh, Nassau Coliseum. We actually never had the match. But we finally ended it with you spearing me down the aisle, which to this day is still one of the most terrifying rides. It's like, he's already angry at me. He's going to kill me. Obviously, you didn't. But that thing was fucking six feet down the damn down r- r- railway. Do you yes. remember that? Okay. I got a question for you. Did I have, did I ever hurt you? No. Okay. So no. you and I had some some issues, whether they were fa- they're all fabricated in my mind, but yeah, completely. And this kind of goes back on the Bret Hart thing, right? So if there yeah. was anybody in the business at the time I wanted to hurt, it probably would have been you. Right? <laughs> Guilty as charged. And look what happened. Not a thing. Yeah. Right? Nothing happened. I didn't hurt you. So, I mean, I just want that to be like a little testament there. And, and that's the thing, too. I love it, too, because here you are, gosh, dude, 20, 23 years later, as hard as that is to believe. Wow. You know, I was le- I was leaning into it, too. Like, screw this guy. He's angry at me. Well, then I'll be angry at him as well. I'm really going to go for it with the Greenberg and all that stuff. So I set myself up for it, too, where I was, OK, this is the chance. And listen, like I said, it was a. It was a strong move, but there was no maliciousness in it at all. I think I even said after pick me up and throw me in the guardrail a couple of times. Like we were doing business out there. And sometimes when you have that real life animosity in the back, it leads to to realism on screen that translates in a good Remember way. Remember the elimination chamber match? Yeah. Remember when I put you through the glass yeah. or the, the, the partition? Whatever. The chamber. If I didn't care about you as a human being, I never would have picked the glass up off of you after. Oh, that was great. Remember that? I do. There's those little things that people don't see, right? They don't get it. You know, I could have hurt every single person I got in the ring with and and vice versa. Everybody could have hurt me. But, you know, at the end of the day, you try to be as professional as humanly possible and and work for the betterment of the business. I remember that elimination chamber because you went to spear me through the glass and it it, it didn't go at first. And you gave me an extra shove like we were going through that damn thing. No matter what. No matter what. We're we're definitely going through. Let's talk a little bit about the Brett thing. Uh, You know, obviously that bothers you 
you talked about it in in the documentary you just mentioned it brought it up right now that hurts your feelings doesn't it that that brett still has that feeling about about you well yeah but i get it i mean i understand you know to a point but i mean yeah yeah 100 i mean i put brett hart is still up here man i mean he's an idol to anybody and everybody who would have ever been in this business mm -hmm. you know i'm a human being like everybody else man and there was absolutely no malicious intent whatsoever none zero so does it bother me yeah i'll take it to my grave but you know also also mm -hmm. i gotta say man and and i've, I've kind of got a i'm at a turning point i'm done saying i'm sorry i've said it a million times and i'm not going to continue to tear myself down i'm done i said i'm sorry if you can't accept my apology i'm really you know it, it is what it is you got to move yeah. on and i've, I've moved on so gotcha. I, I won't be breaching this subject too much more Let's talk about the big night at the Georgia Dome with Hogan. Um, Hulk, Hulk tells a great story uh, on the documentary about about it was you know the right time for you to beat him. I remember that night. I mean, it was it was packed. There was forty thousand people there, and they were all going nuts. It's probably the peak of the Goldberg mania. Talk about that night for you. How early did you know that this was going to happen? And kind of go walk through that with us. JJ Dillon, Thursday Night Thunder announced it. That's when I knew. <laughs> that's what i do right so i don't know who else knew i guess everyone else I, I don't know but that i found out when the general public found out i was terrified you know not too many people remember i had the wrestle scott hall earlier that night and that was a debacle oh, wow. in and of itself but you know two times in one night and then you know i gotta go out in front of my friends my family my peers my teammates, you know, twice, let alone once. And then I go into Hogan and, you know, there's really no match planned out. It's just like, I'm going to follow you. And it's like, oh, shit. What are, I mean, I've never been in this situation before. <laughs> and then, you know, Scott Hall, I mess up a spot during the match and I drop him with a clothesline and he's laying down going, man, you don't want to work with me? You know, what are you doing? And I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I there's nothing that I, I can do it here intentionally to derail the match i mean i just that would be the kiss of absolute death that'd be like mm -hmm. pulling your pants down in front of national television so i mean it was different but i gotta say again you know it was and not to put the wrestling business down by any stretch of the imagination but it was the coolest night of my sports career because the guys that i had idolized and the guys that i bled with and fought with and and cried with and, and sweat with, you know, on the football field and the Falcons were the ones that ended up when we went off the of television, they saved me from the NWO. And you know, as, as well as anybody does, the, the, how we are revered to professional athletes. Right. And as I was handcuffed to the, to the turnbuckle, I'm sitting on my ass watching my former teammates all pros i mean guys that have been in the league for five to ten years you know whether it was jesse tuggle or cornelius bennett or chuck smith or whoever it was man they were like kids in a candy store right remember how kevin green was every time he was able to go out there and perform loved it yeah it was the same way with all these guys man and for me it was it was i don't want to say poetic justice but it was, it was a dream, man. It was a dream to be in a situation to where the people that I had idolized for one second wanted to be in my shoes. And so 
yeah, I just sat back and, and took it all in and I was smiling and I'll never forget it. So were you impressed with how Hulk was able to lead you through the match? It's Hulk Hogan, man. Yeah. And it's Hulk Hogan. There doesn't need to be anything said. Yeah. I mean, no question. I was honored and privileged to even shake his hand, let alone share the ring with him, let alone go over on him and let alone have him think that I was the guy, you know, Mm -hmm. to do it. And, and, you know, there is a lot that goes into that decision, as you know. Sure. Uh, a person in Hogan's situation, you know, he's it just shows what a businessman he is and how selfless he he can be. And uh, I think we all need a little bit of that more more of that in the business. Absolutely. Yeah. Hulk sometimes has a reputation for being selfish, but I didn't see it that way. He was a businessman. And like you said, you were a guy that he could build and then suddenly he has another opponent to work with. Right. Absolutely. Let's one more question about WCW. Obviously everything has, like you said, everything good has to come to an end. And when the streak finally ends, it's, it's with Nash. It's with the, the cattle prod from, from Scott Hall. Looking back on that now, and I know you talked about it and touched upon it in the documentary, but looking back on it now, was it the right time and was it the right finish to, to kind of end the streak for Goldberg, do you think? I, th- I think it was the right time. Um, like I said, the only thing that pissed me off was it was my birthday. <laughs> uh, other, other than that, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it something needed to happen. Something needed to change. As you may remember, and as was documented on the documentary, I, I wanted it to go a little differently. In the, the taser was a completely different gimmick than I wanted. I wanted the one that actually shot in you and had the barb that stick in you, and so I could rip it out and then you know whatever. But <laughs> short of them shooting me or running me over with a tank, I, I, I thought that was probably one of the best ways to do it. I think Kevin was the guy to do it. Mm-hmm. As I've said millions of times before, I'm not a, I'm, my mind doesn't work like a booking agent by any stretch of imagination. That's one of my downfalls. Mm. So I can't really, my opinion really doesn't mean much, but I, looking back on it, I think it was time, whether that was the proper way to do it or whether he was the guy to do it. I don't know, but I mean, I, I, I think it worked. I think the, the, poke of death or the poke of doom or whatever coming up afterwards really didn't help out too much. (laughs) But, you know, you look back on things and you could have changed something. Yeah. But I I think it went the way it it should have gone. I, I don't know. Always had such intensity, like you mentioned. You really, you literally wanted to be shot with a real taser. I remember, like half the time, you'd come out with blood on your forehead because you were banging your head on the damn door before you came through. I mean, that's that's pretty uh, psycho type stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know me though, Chris. I'm I'm a I'm a D lineman. I'm a, I'm a football player, man. You've got the the hockey bug in you, right? And, you know, you know what it's all about, and. And I thought that that character had to be the most intense human being on the planet. And I think that's what people soaked in. That's what they loved about it. Um, the invincibility of the character, the intensity of the character. You know, it, it, it was uh, it was tough, you know, to do. It was tough to walk around and be that guy. But it's also something that you can't turn on and off like a light switch. you got to kind of ramp up to it. And I would culminate mm. by, you know, Headbutting the door, pour, no, pouring a whole bottle of water on my head and then headbutting the door and going out. That meant I was ready to go to work. Mm. And 
I, I can't tell you how many lockers around the country or doors around the country probably have my, my <laughs> head print in it, but it worked. And it was part of the formula to get me to the space where I needed to be to deliver Goldberg, the guy that people, you know, paid money to see. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. You, it's, it's, you're you're a, a, an actor falling into this character, and that was part of the method to get there. I'm a method actor. See? Look at Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about when you when you finally ended up going to WWE. How how was that for you that transition to go to go into that company? Because obviously WCW ran in a certain way, and then you know Vince's world is a completely different way. Yeah, it was totally different for me. It was something I didn't really feel comfortable doing because you know first and foremost because you know I was hanging out with Kevin and Scott, and uh, their best friend you know was. Triple H up at WWE and, you know, they had the whole click thing and they'd always talk. And, you know, then there was some animosity between Hunter and I, and we just so happened to be represented by the same manager and there were things going back and forth. And it's, I, I didn't, and plus, you know, no offense, but I think we were kicking their ass in the ratings. And so I was a bad guy. I was one of sure. the guys that was leading the charge. And so how else are they going to look upon somebody like that? Was I going to go up there and they were going to completely destroy the character? Therefore, you know, turning me into the monster that many people thought that I was in that I had to protect myself even more going up. Mm -hmm. So it was a really, really tough decision to make, but I I wanted to be there for the kids, man. That, that jolt of energy you get when you get, when you're walking to the ring or when you're, when you're in the ring and you look out to the crowd or when you get out of the ring, you know, and you see those kids and you see the smiles on their faces and the stars in their eyes. And all you do is you let them touch your title. You let, you know, you <laughs> grab them and you pick them up and you make them part of the show. I really miss that. And, and I was, I was willing to put pretty much everything to the side just to get that feeling again and to be back there for those kids. What was your uh, initial meetings with with Vince like? Because obviously, you know, you were one of the enemies from WCW to come into WWF. So or WWE, how was it at first with him when you first started interacting with with Vince? It was not warm and fuzzy by Ed, by any stretch of the imagination. Really? No, it was not. the The first year that I was at the WWE, from what I can remember, was was one of the most stressful years of my entire life. And and like I say. Th- some of the things may have been fabricated in my own mind to lobotomize me, but um, I, I felt as though I was still the enemy walking in the locker room, you know, everybody going, what the hell is this guy doing here? And, mm. you know, it's, uh, I, I've always felt like an outsider, but never as much as I did then. Right. Well, I mean, and once again, I firmly believe that, you know, we had our backstage, you know, brouhaha scuffle backstage that was manipulated, I think, by other people to kind of pit no. us against each other. Yeah. Do you feel I, I, You know what I mean, right? A hundred percent. You know, things in life happen for a reason. And, and I don't right. believe that one was, was because of the true animosity you and I had for each other. It was a stage that was set by other people. Yeah. And uh, we just followed out the storyline, <laughs> you know, or I, I, I don't yeah. know. 
I will apologize to the end of my days for that. Me too, man. Once again, face-to-face, that caused a lot of issues. But actually, once we got that out of our system, we did work together that summer quite a few times. We even had a pay-per-view. But yeah, that, that was... That was not something I was really very uh, proud about either, especially the fact that it was, you know, online 20 minutes later. That's why I was like, some, this was all a setup and we, we, we fell for it a thousand percent, man. You know, bingo, bingo. There's no question about it. And, you know, like I say, things happen for a reason. Life's too short to hold grudges by any stretch. And I like to think that it happened so that you and I can get closer as friends, as closer as human beings. So agree. I was terrified during that that fight, by the way. I was like, he's gonna f- kill me. He's gonna rip my head off. He's gonna kill me. The only thing I remember is holding a Coors light and putting it down and going, Oh sh- really? Is this I mean, God, why you know, it was just it was horrible, dude. It was horrible. If I could erase, if I could erase ten minutes of my life, that would that would surely be five of it. <laughs> well, it sure created a, a legend, uh, a legendary uh, a story. That's for sure. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, you kicked my ass pretty good, man. Oh yeah, I stretched you. I stretched you exactly. Yeah, that's uh, not exactly what happened, but uh, <laughs> I'll take it. Hey man, I do remember too. We we fought out the doors in Milwaukee into the concourse for a second for a second for a second we we actually fought out of the dress room back into the dress room and i was like now there's people seeing this now (laughs) yeah i look back on it man and i mean it's it's hard to look back on and laugh but i can do it right now so yeah it was yeah uh, it was it was a moment that uh, i'd like to take back virtual handshake right here with you (laughs) let's talk about the end of your first time uh, uh first stint in, in WWE, because I had actually forgotten about it until once again watching the, the, the documentary of you and Brock in Madison Square Garden with people just going crazy, you know, to taking over the whole moment. And, you know, Goldberg sucks and Brock sucks and everybody sucks. I mean, that was that was not uh, what you, either one of you deserved uh, that night, in my opinion. Well, I appreciate it, man. And looking back on it, I think the match wasn't that bad. Yeah. I haven't seen anybody press Brock over his head before. You know, right. I mean, and, and, you know, the things like that uh, get overlooked in a debacle. It, it was tough. If I could have been anywhere else on the planet at that time, I would have wished to have been there because <laughs> I got absolutely no love. And, and Brock, you know, if you look at my words in that documentary, when I'm saying F the people, F the people, I'm trying to get Brock to calm down so he doesn't rip my head off. Right. Because he was pissed as pissed as i was yeah you know i got it i understood i didn't really know his situation right but it it looked like he wanted to kill me and uh you know i was a big bad dude back then but i you know brock's got that wrestling background and it would have been interesting man for sure but i (laughs) i had to i had to try to calm him and you know again i i can see how the public's takes that little clip and goes, ah, Goldberg never liked the business or the people. And that's bullshit. I just was trying mm-hmm. to calm a beast down. You know, it was, it was a tough night. It was. And I, you know, I, I, I'd love to put that behind me, but you know, you have to look back on it and reflect and try to pull something positive out of it. The positive is that, you know, I changed exponentially over the number of years that passed and I came back and I kind of made amends with myself Mm-hmm. You know, so it's uh, everything happens for a reason, man. Did you ever think you would wrestle again after that match was done? Hell no. 
<laughs> I, I I swore up and down I would put the wrestling business behind me as good as it was to me. Uh, I'm a firm believer that you're only as good as your last match. You know, that's how I mm -hmm. So I didn't really want to be remembered like that. But then again, you know, did I want to chance it again by going back and subjecting myself to that type of, you know, reaction? Um, because, you know, truthfully, at the end of the day, we are human, man. Whether we're heels or baby faces, man, you know, to get a reaction, both positive and negative, is what we what we strive for. And uh, it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, though, it led you to do some pretty cool things. And I, I want to give you some props on uh, one of the best Christmas uh, horror movies of all time, Santa's Sleigh. Which, by the way, in the in the documentary, they spelt wrong. Yes, they spelt it as slay, not slay. Like you're killing people. Exactly. I had forgotten though that you had, that J James Caan was in that movie too. I mean, what a what a great uh, cast to have with you as the lead as a killer Santa Claus. It was awesome. There were a lot of favors being paid to uh, the executive producer, and uh, within the first two minutes of the movie, I killed Chris Kattan, Fran Drescher, James Caan. And a dog. So, I mean, but it was in the first two minutes so that they could just do their little cameos and get, get on back to Dodge. Right. So right. it was, it was cool, man. It was a lot of fun. The wrestling business opens up many doors and I've never been one to quote unquote, say he's an actor, but if I can go step into a situation to where I can bring my intensity and maybe some humor and self-deprecation and, I'm I'm all in, man. I mean, look at me on my last episode of the Goldbergs. I'm dancing around in high heels and a pink shirt. <laughs> that was a no-brainer. Yes, Goldberg and the Goldbergs, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, what finally decided made made the decision for you to come back to wrestling? Because I'm sure you had a lot of overtures over the years to to return. Finally, like you mentioned, 12 years later, here you are back in the ring uh, in WWE. It was the birth of our son. He got so many questions as a kid. He was five, six years old, you know, getting to the point where he could understand really what was going on around him. He would just get so many questions and he never really had answers. He really didn't. He didn't know that part of his dad, um, nor did his mother. Hmm. So there was a lot that went into me coming back and deciding to pull the trigger. I'd say the biggest one is, you know, when when you wrestle and then you retire as a power character it is tough to maintain that level of fitness and intensity mm. over that period of time um so when you come back are you a shell of yourself do you bastardize what you had the you know what you had done before um there were a lot of questions and a lot of doubt that i had in my mind and it was a very tough decision but I, I think that the reason that I did it will show as to how important it was to me. My son and my wife needed to see it in real time. That's the same thing that Mario Lemieux did when he came back. He wanted his son to be able to see him play hockey, which is very, very cool. But talk about a different, completely different treatment of the Goldberg character when you came back in 2016 than when, when you left in 2003. You know, I came in for a reason. Uh, again, Brock needed an adversary. He needed a worthy adversary, and he needed somebody that he could uh, he could even up the score against. 
and there weren't too many people who were believable and there weren't too many people that had retired that had a story like mine that had the history with him and uh you know the character has had different iterations throughout time um i came back even more simplistic than i left which was easier for me as an elder statesman but <laughs> not nearly as fulfilling but then you learn the inner working workings of the wrestling business and i'll tell you what and i i never would have said this before and i don't think you ever would have said it before but brock lesnar is an absolute mastermind yeah i mean he really is and that's something that i never saw coming hmm. never especially from a guy that you know talk bullshit about the business prior to getting into it that he never would have never would get into the fake wrestling thing considering he was a real wrestler and lo and behold he looks at the opportunity takes advantage of it and shit he's got a rocket ship up his butt to the moon and uh it was an honor for me to still be looked upon as somebody who was a worthy competitor and a worthy challenge for him and uh you know brock's the one that came up with the with the 90 second deal right mm -hmm. you know me i'm not going to walk in and say oh i'm gonna i've been away 12 years i'm gonna beat brock at 60 seconds or 90 seconds and then <laughs> pay me and i'm gone so it doesn't work like that so i learned a lot from brock and i learned a lot about who he is and about how creative he is and how unselfish he is and that those are things that people would definitely be surprised about when talking about Brock Lesnar. Well, once again, he, he tapped into the explosiveness of the Goldberg character. That 90 minutes, nobody saw it coming, but it was exactly what it should have been. It was amazing. It, it resurrected Goldberg as much as it helped Brock create a new opponent. A hundred percent. And, and it just shows the unselfishness of Brock at that time. And, you know, and, and again, I was just was lucky to be in that situation and still be able to pull it off. So you mentioned something interesting to me that, that when you're a power character and obviously Goldberg has, and you still have, you look pretty much exactly the same as you did 20 years ago, other than a gray, a graying beard. But um, how do you stay in that, in that condition, have that same look? Just hard work, man. You know, uh, I, I'm dedicated to my craft and my craft is trying to be somebody that walks the streets in great physical condition and can be looked up upon as someone in an accelerated part of their life that still tries to stay as fit as humanly possible to set that example. Mm -hmm. And the biggest example I can set is one for my son. And now, you know, he's surpassed me in certain areas and it's hard for me to keep up but I got to be there for him and I got to push his ass and I got to make sure that he, he understands that you're only as good as your next lift or your next game. Mm -hmm. You've got to work your ass off no matter where you are. Um, there's always somebody else working harder, working longer uh, with more intensity. And so you got to make sure that you're giving it a thousand percent every time. And, 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 you know, I hooked up with this company called Gallant. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, next week we're going to be launching our new CBD product, CBD product line. And they've contributed to the success of me uh, taking care of my body again. And as opposed to taking a narcotic, like back in the day when guys would travel around with bags of pills bigger than the bags of their equipment. Right. You know, I 
I've been in the wrestling business. I've been in the football business. And those two businesses contribute to a lot of pain. And I don't like masking it because you know that sooner or later it's going to come back. And so if you can find a product, you can find a product line that, that helps you along the way that, that cures your aches and pains and allows you to sleep and helps you in a pre-workout, you know, then, then I'm going to, I'm going to grab a hold of it. And I think that this new company called Gallant, uh, I, I think is, is at the top of the echelon in their market. Uh, they're run by scientists. They're run by high level executives. And I think once you attach your name to something, it might as well represent what you've worked for your entire life. And that's excellence. And they've helped me get to a, a, a spot where I feel, I feel young again. And I feel, I feel pretty good. And it's, it's just, the mirror is my worst enemy, right? <laughs> it's not the television. It's not the movie screen. It's myself. And if I could beat myself, if I can please myself, then, then I, I, I would think that everyone else would be satisfied because I try to hold myself in very it, extremely high standard, whether I'm five, 15, 25 or 55 as I am now, mm -hmm. I'm not going to stop working out until the day I die. And I'll probably be working out as you know, prior to my death, but that's, <laughs> that's just something that, that I've always been addicted to. And, and it's my identity. So the Gallant products, they, they incorporate CBD. Discuss a little about CBD because I've never really talked about it before. Obviously, it's so good for you, but why? What exactly is it? You know, I, I wish that I, I wish that I could answer that as as a uh, as a, from the scientist's perspective. But it's a, it's an oil that's extracted from the hemp plant, and it's been used for for hundreds of years in pain management. And I think now. The reason why I hooked up with this company is because the CBD market isn't really regulated very well. And mm -hmm. when regulation does come down, these guys, because of their scientific background and their no, uh, uh, no GMO, you know, uh, all organic products, uh, health, uh, food grade certified products, these guys are going to still be standing when, when the regulations come. And when you put something in your body, you definitely want to know exactly what's in it, uh, whether you have a drug test or wh whatever's going on, mm -hmm. especially when you get an accelerated age and especially when you really need to rely upon things like that to extend your life. And the, the excellence that the, this company holds itself to uh, is top notch. And like I say, the hemp oil, whether it's, uh, it's, it's, taken in a dropper, whether it's put on it in, in a, inside of a topical cream or like a roll on. Right. There's so many benefits. Uh, and the biggest one I can tell you is not the, the pre-workout is really good, but the one that helps me the most is the, the sleep oil. You know, I take a dropper over before I go to bed and, uh, man, I've had so many demons throughout my life. Sleeping is one of them. <laughs> and, and it's really kept me at peace and it's, it's evened me out. And it's, uh, it's something that I'm very happy about. It's something that I'm fully invested in and uh, I'm proud to be a part of it. And, and it's not just some fly by night company. I mean, the lead executive was at FedEx for 15 years. And, <laughs> uh, he was extremely successful. A guy named Bill Margaritas. And um, I'm just lucky enough to hook up with the company and, and have it help me out because 
the other ways of pain management are not very conducive to leading a healthy life. Right, right. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah. Well, um, as we start to wind down here, just a couple last questions for you. One of the biggest matches of all time that never happened, uh, we all wish that it would have, was Goldberg versus versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. In your you know, thought, first of all, was that ever discussed at all? Why didn't it happen? Do you wish it would have happened? There's no question that I wish it would have happened. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that was the match to have. Why it never happened, I think 90% of the reasoning behind that was his his neck issues right and my finishing moves right um whether it be the spear or whether it be the jackhammer i don't think those are moves that he would have wanted to to do nor would his mm-hmm. boss would have wanted him to do right i think it was a safety issue more so than anything but it was and it was never really discussed we were never really in a room together and, dis- and mm-hmm. it was subject matter and i always wish that it was um, I never really brought it up because, again, that's not my place, man. I, I, I like to think that I show up and I do what people tell me to do, and I try to do it to the best of my ability. So I wasn't ever politicking for it, but there's no question that it's a dream match that never happened. So now, modern-day Goldberg, you wrestle you know, three, four times a year, whatever it may be. They bring you in when they need you. Uh, what's your relationship with the company now, and how do you enjoy uh, being in the ring? You know, um, my role, quite obviously, has changed exponentially. I, at this point, look at it as to, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. You're a cast member. I'm a cast in, member, in and however I need to be used, I'm pretty much okay with it because it's the debt that I owe to the business. If I can mm. help in any way, shape, or form, then that's what that's what I'm here for. Vince McMahon has has uh, treated me very well throughout the years. And it, it's a relationship that changed, you know, 180 degrees from my first departure to my mm-hmm. to my uh, existing relationship with him now. I, I owe that man and that company a lot because it gave me the opportunity to come back and put something on tape for my son. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, I'm giving back. And so the, the way that they use the Goldberg character you know, granted, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be choked out in the middle of the ring by Roman Reigns, but it lends itself lends itself to the storyline to ultimately tell the big picture. And the big picture, I'm not the number one main character in it anymore. But if I can be used in the proper way to elevate or to destroy somebody, then I'm I'm all for it. And you know, I've had physical issues throughout the years, and I mean, we we hide these things, you know for one reason or another, you know, football, it's a little different. It's, it's very tough to hide injuries, but you know, a lot of ways in the wrestling business, it can be done. And I, I've hidden the fact that I completely destroyed my shoulder over the years. And Mm -hmm. I thought that I needed surgery and through these products and through hard work, you know, I'm to a point now that I feel better than I have in 10 years and I can actually move my shoulder and I can actually lift, you know, pretty well again. And, and I feel really good and it sucks for my kid because now I can freaking fight back. <laughs> right. But, um, I, I feel good, man. I, I really do. And, um, I, I don't really want to go out the way that I went out in Saudi by any stretch of the imagination. So, Hey man, you never say never, dude. You never say never. And I'm always going to be ready for that one. 
Well, it seems like a lot of your matches are in Saudi. Is that, is that kind of where you wrestle more than the States? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it looks like, you know, like 90% of them over the past three years have been in Saudi. I, I did uh, I did SummerSlam with, with Bobby. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, if if that's where I'm needed and that's where I'm appreciated, then that's where I wrestle. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, we're we're employees, and uh, and I do what I'm told. <laughs> you still like seeing the kids and hanging out with the kids as much as you can? Does that still give you reason to be in the business? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. They never used me at WWE like I was used at WCW. Mm. I, I mean, you remember, man, I was the king of Make-A-Wish, and I did right. as much as I could at any given time for these kids. And they used me to the nth degree at WCW. Well, I think I've done one Make-A-Wish while I've been a member of the WWE. Mm -hmm. I, I wish that they would use me in other ways that they have that they have not throughout the years. But I'm still one of the enemy. Last couple of questions. How was it getting inducted into the Hall of Fame? It was awesome, man. It was absolutely a, a, a dream and a privilege. And as I said, when I was being inducted in the Hall of Fame, you know, I never would have believed it and never would have said it, but it, it seems <laughs> as though the Hall of Fame induction at the WWE was a better pathway to get to the kids than the NFL Hall of Fame ever could have been. And mm -hmm. let's be honest, I never was even close to starting, let alone making the NFL Hall of Fame. But um, it, it, it helped in my journey to accomplish what I always wanted to accomplish as a kid, and that's trying to set a positive example for those who follow my footsteps. Does your son have any aspirations of football or wrestling? He's got aspirations of playing professional baseball, I think, more so than anything, right? Wow. Yeah. That's cool. We travel every weekend. We live down here in Texas now, and we travel for summer baseball. And, you know, football's coming up in two weeks. And, oh, yeah, well, you know, the last time people saw him, he was getting choked out by Bobby Lashley in Vegas. <laughs> I don't think it's at the top of his list, but I think it's on his list. And, you know, the, the athletic endeavors are, are two avenues he wants to exhaust before making a decision or having to make a decision to go in the wrestling business. But I mean, he has no idea what a great situation he's in, in the wrestling business for the future. Sure. So, I mean, he, he truly has no idea. So. <laughs> Last question for you, man. What was your favorite match that you ever had? Is the one that stands out as being like, oh, that was the best one? I, I'd have to say Dallas, Halloween Havoc. I finally went, you know, probably 10 times longer than I had normally gone in the ring before. And uh, unbeknownst to the public, I didn't have to take the 14 spears that, that uh, I didn't have to give the 14 spears that Dallas actually wanted me to give him in the 40-page dissertation of a match that he handed me. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty proud of that one, man. I mean, I speared him and knocked myself out. Then I, I was able to get him up in the jackhammer and finish the match off. And, and you know, for I think for that reason alone, that and I, I pretty much dispelled the rumor that I couldn't go more than two minutes in the ring. Mm -hmm. It just was completely dependent upon who was leading me, you know. Sure. And uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that one, man. That that's that's one I'd have to say is a is one that I look back on that I'm I I'm, I was proud of very few things that I did in the business, but that that's one at the top of the list. I love that uh, you wanted you to spear him 14 times. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> and I don't, I've never speared anybody more than once prior. <laughs> of course. Well, dude, man, <laughs> it's been great talking to you, Bill. And uh, once again, I'm proud to call you a friend. Uh, and uh, in my opinion, you are one of the greats of all time for, for many different reasons. So uh, congratulations for that. Well, I don't know if I deserve that, brother, but I, I greatly appreciate your friendship and your understanding. And uh, it's funny how the world works. It's funny how life works. And uh, as I'm here looking at your smiling face, I miss you, man. 100%. I miss you too, man. And you're a fellow goat owner, which is great. I saw that as well. My wife decided to get goats about six months ago. We got three of the damn things running around eating my pants too, like they ate yours. Yeah, man. Well, when you become a father of a kangaroo who's taken to to summer <laughs> baseball games and who sits in a bag watching the game, <laughs> let me know because that's, that's kind of where my life has gone to. <laughs> The tough Goldberg with a with a kangaroo on his back. Exactly. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, nice seeing you, man. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to see you in person soon. I love you, brother. Great to talk to love you. Love you too, man. Thanks, dude. Take care, buddy. Take care.